There's a question that I now have to ask at home every night before dinner that I never anticipated I would have to ask at every meal. Is this cauliflower? <laughs> Whether we're eating what I think is pizza, mashed potatoes, fried rice, or tacos, I've learned there is now always the possibility that rather than whatever it is that makes each of these foods so delicious, I might actually be eating cauliflower. The good thing about these cauliflower substitutions is that they're not only significantly healthier, but they really do taste pretty good just not always compared to how good they would taste if they were the original. Or it might be that they do taste just as good or even better, but I'm not able to see it because I'm focusing on what it is not rather than what it is. Or I guess, yes, I got that right. The author of a viral online article, which exploded on social media a few years ago, tried to explain in a somewhat cynical piece why Generation Y yuppies are unhappy. According to the article, a large portion of Generation Y, those born between the mid-70s and the mid-90s, also called millennials, are unhappy. Happiness, the article says, equals reality minus expectations. In other words, how are you doing compared to how you expected you'd be doing? Or how does the cauliflower pizza taste compared to the deep dish pizza you were expecting? The author proposes that these 20 to 40-somethings have expectations that are too high and live in a reality that can't meet them. The article explains that there has been a change over the generations in the perception of work and success. Our grandparents, and I'm one of them, remembering the Great Depression or the war, often immigrants or the children of immigrants, were always concerned with saving and achieving financial security. And they wanted their children, our parents, to have what they did not. They worked hard, often beginning in low-paying jobs, so that our parents, the baby boomers, could go to college and have what many of them did not. They encouraged our parents to find stable, secure careers after college, and while that may not have clicked immediately with the hippie generation, they ultimately found those stable careers, worked hard at them, and after years of hard work, found that they had indeed done better than their parents. Their reality had exceeded their expectations. This is where the article gets even more cynical, because since the baby boomers were happy, they wanted their children to be happy. They told us that we could be anything we wanted to be, and they wanted us to know that each of us were special. This was the generation in which every child received a trophy at the end of the season, and everyone won an award at awards night. Now, as adults, it isn't just about finding that stable, secure career. 
It's also about finding a fulfilling career. It's no longer about reaching the American dream, but rather one's own personal dream. The article shows a cartoon of a generation wire thinking, I suppose I could be president, but is politics really the truest calling of my heart? No, that would be settling. It's not that Generation Y doesn't also want financial security, but according to the article, they want it now, and they want to be happy doing the work they're doing to achieve it. The article goes on to show that most in Generation Y, upon entering the workforce, find that it is not as easy as they expected. Either they can't get a job in the field they wanted, or the job they get is not as fulfilling as they thought it would be, or they can't get a job at all. That difference between reality and expectations can cause frustration and unhappiness. In last week's Torah portion, we read about Jacob tricking his father, pretending to be his brother Esau, in order to receive the blessing of the firstborn. In this week's Torah portion, Jacob falls madly in love with Rachel, his cousin, but that was how they did it back then, and was told by his uncle Levon that he could marry Rachel if he worked for him for seven years. Then, some might say, Jacob learned that those who allow themselves to lie and cheat find themselves in a world where no one can be trusted. For on the night he was supposed to be married to Rachel after those seven years, his uncle, after giving him food and drink at a wedding feast, sent his older daughter Leah into their marital bed rather than Rachel. Maybe it was the alcohol or perhaps the darkness and awkwardness of a first night together, but Jacob did not realize he was with the wrong sister until morning, waking up and crying out, What have you done to me? I was in your service for Rachel. Why did you deceive me? Now, it really was a coincidence that this was the Torah portion read on the evening of our gathering of several newlywed and engaged couples, many of whom would fit into that Generation Y millennial category. But Jacob provides the extreme example of what many will describe to marital therapists as not recognizing the person one wakes up to, one wakes up next to in the morning. One would think that when it came to marriage, we would see the same challenges, if not more, in this generation that the article described for finding happiness in work. So when we see that millennials are job hopping more than any other generation, with over 21% changing jobs in 2016, the last time a Gallup poll was taken, and over 60% open to changing jobs in that same survey, we might expect a similar, if not higher, divorce rate upon millennials as well. If things get tough, try something new. But this is where researchers were surprised to be wrong. According to an article published in Slate last month, the divorce rate in the United States has dropped 18% from 2008 to 2016. 
The researcher's conclusion as to the reason is that millennials are divorcing at a much lower rate than their boomer counterparts were, even at the same age. Why? According to the article, while it's true that fewer couples are actually getting married, and more couples who are are living together first, which is a factor that used to lead to a higher rate of divorce, the ultimate difference from previous generations seems to be that couples are waiting longer to get married. This doesn't mean that a couple will not experience the same shock as Jacob did waking up next to Leah, that couples today will never say, this is not the man or woman who I married. The difference is, I would like to think, that couples realize that the person they are marrying is not the person they first fell in love with. And they realize that with the constant change we all experience, the person they'll be married to on their first anniversary will not be the person with whom they stood under the chuppah. And the change will only continue after that. The story of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah gives us the extreme of literally waking up next to someone you didn't know that you were marrying. But the person that you are married to is never the person you married. The person you're married to tomorrow is not the same person you're married to today, just as you will not be the same person tomorrow as you are today. We all change and grow and are on a constant journey of becoming who we will be. And the beauty of marriage is that two people get to continuously become those people together. I tell every couple I work with that while their wedding is important, it is not the most important day of their lives. And it's only as important as the marriage that it will lead to. Thus, whatever work they put into their wedding, infinitely more work needs to be continuously put into the marriage. And the best marriages are the ones in which both partners are truly partners in one another's journey of growth and change, working together to be the best individuals and couple that they can be. And recognizing that when there are elements in our partner that will not change, Sometimes those are areas in which we have to change in order for us to thrive. Reb Mimi Feigelson, an Orthodox uh, Jewish female rabbi, tells newlyweds that they should keep secrets from one another. Why? Because, she says, there's a tendency to see your spouse as if you know everything about them. The real challenge, she suggests, is to see one another anew each and every day. This, she believes, is the secret to a happy marriage. And this is where the proposed happiness equation which with, with which we began is off, or at least misguided. Happiness, they suggested, is equal to reality minus expectations. If our reality is better than what we were hoping for, we're happy, and if not, we're unhappy. But happiness, perhaps, is equal to one's level of understanding that reality is always changing, plus one's ability to react when reality hands us something unexpected. Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, unfortunately, 
live a life full of conflict and adversity as they allowed the mistakes of their past to haunt their future. But our goal is to learn from their example, to not repeat their mistakes, to embrace our own, and to move forward from each of them together. At the beginning of this week's Torah portion, a section that Rylan will chant for us tomorrow morning, Jacob says, Achen yesh Adonai b'makom hazeh va'anochi lo yadati. Wow! God is in this place, and I didn't know it. To our couples who are here this evening, for all of us, whether we're married or single, whether we're talking about marriage, family, children, work, health, home, or our next trip to the refrigerator when what looks like fried rice turns out to be some weird form of cauliflower. (laughs) Rarely will we find any relationship or experience to be exactly what we expect it to be. So often this surprise leads to dismay, but it has the opportunity to lead to appreciation and even to awe. Whatever we find in our lives, may our happiness be defined by our willingness to find the holy or create the holy in everything we experience, in embracing opportunities to grow and learn together, and in finding love that isn't dependent on expectations, but rather embracing those we love for who they are at every moment.